thank you guys for coming out tonight. I love something um, Pastor Mark told me one time. He said, you know, people really don't have to come to church on, you know, they, they choose to get up and come. Now, it's for your benefit, and we're going to talk about that tonight, but really, thank you for coming. You guys choose to come and to sow your finances when everybody else is busy doing other things, and we're going to talk about that. We don't ever pressure people, but we are glad that you guys do come and show up, and, and you choose to come here, and so we want to say thank you for that. Tonight, I'm going to talk about the rise of the church. Ever since we went to Israel, um, me and dad, even though we were over there, it's funny how certain conversations will stand out to you. You know, dad and I were driving through Israel on the last day through Tel Aviv, and he starts talking to me about the millennial reign and different things. And I'm reading a book at that time um, on, it's called The Double Mega Church Pastor, and what he's saying, where the church is going in these next coming years. And really, Israel was a great trip. Um, I'm going to show you some things that I, that I got from Israel. But what really began to stir, and dad was joking with me, he says, well, after everything Mark preached, and you've been in all these services, you could preach the same thing. And I said, you know, I really wish, but the Lord's been stirring in me something else. And something else has been and pushing, and so I have to follow that. Because after the other night, with, when brand new prophecy was coming forth, I believe that God is taking... Um, first pastor um, preached about the rise of the prophets are going to begin to prophesy. Even prophets are going to begin to prophesy new churches and churches that are going to start rising back up. And I want to, I thought greatly about in the past, I'm going to give you a little church history. Um, The rise of the church, is the church just a teaching center? Is the church just a gathering of the community? Or is the church the most powerful force on earth? In America, church is kind of an optional thing that, you know, you grow up, when I was a kid, um, church to me was, hey, we have to go on Sunday, we're doing it because we want to honor the Lord, and we're going to come to church and, and sing and worship him until he comes and takes us home. And so I realized years later that that is not the purpose of the church, that you can have these, the American church and other churches, and I'm sure it's not just people always want to dog the American churches, but I'm sure all churches all over have this kind of mentality that we're just living to get by until we go home. But what does Jesus really say about the church? What was the church like in the past? And when I was in Israel, I learned a great, um, a lot about the church in the past. And so I kind of want to touch on some of that tonight. Now, um, from some church history, from 33 AD, to 70 AD, the gospel spread all around the Mediterranean, right? The disciples took what Jesus, Jesus died 33 AD, and then, um, and you can start showing some of these pictures from 33 all the way to 70 AD. Um, so this is kind of the, um, the old, old, old covenant church or the times of, of Jesus. There's some pictures. I bought this book in, in the Temple Mount and it was amazing because it's really giving me, there's a showbread on the right, there's a menorah. They used to light the menorah like every night and the incense would burn all throughout Jerusalem. There's uh, my job as a band. We, you know, we go up and get instruments and, and I don't, I, to me, you know, the Temple Mount, they say that the stuff's pretty accurate. And so I thought it was really cool. But I want to focus on that um, there is the Holy of Holies where they would, the priest would walk in one time a year and he would um, sacrifice on the, um, the, the Ark of the Covenant. And let's see, do we have another one here? 
There is the entrance to the temple. I forget what the basins are for. At first, I thought it was a golden calf, but the basins actually have a job. So I have this book. There is the temple, and the temple is in the center of the city, which to me, I want to talk a little bit about that tonight, which I thought was really cool. All the homes around, everything... um, the church, the temple, was the most important thing in Jerusalem. Everybody, and if you, there's another picture in there somewhere, if you keep going, that actually shows, oh, there's the making of the menorah. I thought they put gold. I, was, I thought that was kind of cool how they made it. There is a first temple in Shiloh. It was a mobile temple. They used to build it and set it up. It was tents. And that was before they moved to Jerusalem. They were out in the desert. And when we were in Israel, you go to Shiloh or Shiloh. Stop and hold this picture right here. As you can see, the walls had, they, the first temple mount was just the first walls. Then what would happen is, as the city began to grow, you can see more walls would begin. You got the second wall, and then you got the third wall. As the, it would begin to expand as the city would grow. And different, I think Herod ended up building the third wall after, um, you know, around the time of Jesus or, or after but then the destruction happened in 70 AD, which Jesus prophesied there will not be one stone that's left. And God came out of the temple and God now is living in, in us and they don't know where the Ark of the Covenant is anymore. And that's because they're still trying to find it. And Lord knows that if they found the Ark of the Covenant, all the Russian Catholics would be going up and kissing it like they do in Jerusalem. Um, you can go to the next picture. I wanna know if there's any more in there. Um, there's a kind of an up close. There's the inner court or no, that's the outer court. And then if you go in the temple is the inner court and the Holy of Holies. But what I thought was when Solomon said, I'm going to build the house of the Lord, his whole, David actually designed it. And, he, and um, God said, because of your hands are a hands of war, your son is going to build my house. Many times in the Bible, you had the Roman centurion who came to Jesus or he sent a servant and he said, they said, um, come at, get Jesus to come heal our servant. And they said, Jesus, come, he is um, one of us, but not only is he one of us, he has given all of his funds to build our synagogue. And Jesus, you know, went and, and then he said, you don't have to come, just say the word and it'll be healed. But I love it how, how much emphasis the Bible, you know, God gave Mo, um, Abraham a covenant and out of this covenant, this is gonna be built. And I, when he started showing Moses, and I was talking about this the other day, he showed Moses in great detail every little thing that he wanted you know, to build and how he wanted it to be. And to me, it's, it's amazing how all this came about because God wanted to be with us on earth and he had an idea of a temple, of a church that he was gonna build and how serious God takes the church and how serious the temple. Now, um, what, what happened is, is that the temple was so powerful that Rome... As it became an empire, it knew that if it was going to sway the people, if it, I mean, the temple was the all of the world. Nobody cared what Rome and the emperor of Rome had to say because there's the temple. So Rome had to destroy the temple because with that, and I'm going to say this, with the church, Satan cannot advance its forces. Satan cannot do anything if there's a church standing there because nobody cared what anybody had to say because if the priest said it, it was, it was from God. And so now Rome can't rise to power. So what happened was, is Rome came around 70 AD, destroyed the temple, 
didn't really matter because what happened is, is the disciples went around to Asia, to India, to Italy, to Rome, and then the Pope ended up becoming after the second, I was watching a documentary the other day, and it says after the second or third generation of disciples from the originals, Rome ends up becoming, the church gets established in Rome. And so what happened is, is now the church rises back up to power again, and it becomes so powerful that in 300 AD, they had a war that went all the way, I think, to 313, um, or yeah, 313 AD, because Con- and then Constantine finally said, I'm gonna recognize Christianity. I don't think it became the, the state Roman religion yet, but they said, you know what, we're done. Um, Christianity has become so powerful that we no longer can fight it. It's growing, spreading too fast. So now we're gonna just become at peace with them. We're gonna recognize it. The Pope can stay in Rome. We're actually gonna join with the Pope because the government was not able to keep up with Rome um, or, or with the church because the church had become more powerful. And the more I thought about that, I'm thinking, why isn't the church that powerful today? You have Paul Young and Cho who has a million members in his church and they've marched out on the street and the government tried to set them down, but they shut them down, but they cannot because Paul Young and Cho's church is over a million members. It's way too powerful. And so we're gonna talk a little bit about the building of the church the church was in the past, um, went through the dark ages and, and Satan's number one, what Satan has done to the church. And um, I may not finish it all tonight. Maybe uh, I'll tell dad to enjoy, sit down next week and enjoy my part two series. <laughs> but I really want to get into the church because I believe God has taken the church to a new place. And I think that it's time for us to get an idea. I love seeing pictures of the church. I think you know, that's going to be my job in heaven is I'm still going to be working in the temple at some, some point. But I love seeing, um, you know, the, the, what Solomon did and how serious the people took the, the word of God and the law of Moses at the time to, to keep um, the meeting once a year in Jerusalem, to keep the sacrifices. I mean, it's, and even in Jewish now, like they say, it's still very serious. They shut down the whole town when it's time and like I said, this was a superpower of the world, and there's no way nobody else was going to rule when you had this. And so to me, thank you for the pictures. Um, that, that was a, the old, but God wanted to destroy that because now he's, you are the church. So really, my second point to come to is who is the real church? Romans 2, 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor a circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But listen to this but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not of the letter, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, from God. What he's saying here is, is a Jew is one of the heart. We go to Israel and mom made a statement. She says, we're more Jewish than they are because we now are the seed of Abraham. He says, through your seed, I will bless the inhabitants of the earth and your seed will be mighty on the earth. And and Jesus was the seed of Abraham, but now we are in Jesus. And so now we're the seed of Abraham. So there's only two people, there's a covenant and without covenant. So really when we're in Israel, we actually really are the real Jews visiting the temple because we're the Jew inwardly. Now they're still waiting for their Messiah and they are the physical Jews that were remnants that were left you know, through the bloodline. But the Lord says, now this has changed. And that's why all the, I think all the apostles or, or most of them were martyred or hung upside down because they could not accept this new reality that Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory, that you're gonna be 
um, the same DNA, the same spiritual DNA as God himself. The same phase, uh, the first phase, Jesus um, first form and his spirit is now in us. We've been made in his likeness. We are a mirror of Jesus. And so they couldn't accept that. So obviously, um, you know, everybody being was martyred and they, but the gospel continued to spread. I love this other one, Hebrews 12, 22 through 23 in the Amplified, Amplified. And I actually did that for you already, so it should be in there. It says, but rather you've come to Mount Zion and you've entered into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and countless multitude of angels and festival gatherings, and to the church assembly. I love what Pastor Mark says, there is some assembly required. To the firstborn who are registered as citizens in heaven, and who's God the God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteousness redeemed in heaven who have been made perfect. What he's saying here is that this Jerusalem that you saw is no longer here. There is a heavenly Jerusalem now. And we are a part, we are citizens of that heavenly Jerusalem. We are the church. God is working in you now. And that's why, um, you know, I think that him getting rid of the temple has devastated the Jews, but it's really because God is saying, I am not there anymore. And so what, what we've come to now is, um, I'm gonna go to Matthew 16, eight, and um, we're gonna talk a little bit about what, what did Jesus say that he is doing in this time. And so in Matthew 16, eight, can we put that on the screen? I know you guys are turning, so I'm gonna let you wait. Or let you wait, I'm gonna wait. My words get twisted sometimes up here. So Jesus says, and I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's a couple things to this. First thing I wanna point out is when we were in Israel, Jesus took the disciples four days from Galilee to this place called the gates of hell and it's actually a real place. There's a big rock, there's a hole in the ground and it looks kind of eerie. And they used to throw sacrifices in there and the water turned red. Um, the, the pagan God would not accept the sacrifice, but if it did not turn red, it, they accepted it. And when you're there, you see all these little statues everywhere and they call it the supermarket of gods. And so Jesus brings Peter and the disciples in front of this whole supermarket of gods. It's this huge pagan temple and all this stuff everywhere. And he says, who do you say that I am? And, G and Peter says, you are the Christ. And he says, upon this rock, Peter, or my father has revealed this to you and on this rock, this revelation of that I am the Christ, I am gonna build my church. And so I wanna talk about, um, I've, I've been reading this book and you'll have to just hear me out because this is gonna sound odd at the beginning. It says that Jesus is not building hotels, he's not building political parties, Jesus is not building businesses, he's not building banks, Jesus is building his church. It's amazing how many pastors, not laymen, are redirecting their time to build human institutions. Now you are the church and Jesus is building you and you have an assignment which can be a business but Jesus is focused on building his local church. And so um, I wanna read a part of that book. Um, let's see, it says, Jesus says, I will build my, the greatest prophecy about church growth came from Jesus himself. He prophesied, I will build my church. This prophecy has come to pass and is still being fulfilled. It's because this prophecy that I gave myself to building churches, both spiritually and physically, why swim against the tide? Why do something that God is not doing? Now, if Jesus is building the church, why would you build something else? Jesus is not building hotels. He's not building political parties and businesses and banks. He is building his church. 
It's amazing how pastors have given themselves, I'm saying pastors, not laymen, have given themselves to building schools and universities and hotels and businesses and banks and political parties. Can you imagine the time and effort that a man of God will need to build a business, a hotel or a bank or a political party? All that time and effort is taken away from building the church of God. Indeed, many ministries have redirected precious time, resources, and energy from building of the church and to building human institutions. Jesus says, I will build my church. I am privileged to be educated and know that education is different from faith. Education is not the same as studying about Jesus and God. Building a school is a good thing, but building a school is not the same as building a church. Now, this is um, Doug Howard Mills. He's planted 3,000 churches all over the world. He's a mega church pastor, and he's 50 years old. He's, he's got churches in like nine, uh, 60 countries. I've been reading his book. Now, he's not saying... For laymen, you're not to have a business. What he's saying is that pastors will get so consumed with building everything else but the local church. Now, our job as shepherds, our job is to feed the sheep. And the, the, Jesus says to the degree the, feet, the sheep get fed is the degree that they're going to operate and they're going to get a revelation of that word. And Jesus says, I'm going to hold the shepherds accountable for what the sheep know and hear. And so he was a doctor who left his medical, the Lord had called him out of that. And, if, and he says in this book, you don't have to um, read it, he says, it's a good thing if the Lord calls you to build a school or this and that. And he says, making sure that the Lord called you to do it before you redirect millions of dollars to do something. And he says, sometimes there are um, times where the Lord will call you to do something like that. Now, the layman's different. You're in a, you have an assignment. You're a part, you are the local church. You have an assignment here, and your assignment is to work, and you're, a, you're, you're winning souls and bringing people to church. But he's talking about the local church sometimes will get so far off from Jesus saying, I'm building my church, to where they get off into all these other projects and they will completely neglect any, and he actually begins to talk about why um, this happens, and it's number one, it's, it's gonna be the devil who's gonna get pastors to do everything else but build a church. And, um, and I love something Shirley came into me one day, I, I was doing something, and, and she said, we were talking about my other job on Monday, and it's been a, bl a blessing, but she said, you know, I just pray there's a day coming where you're able to devote time into the word fully so I can be well-fed. And I said, amen, I'm gonna start believing God that if I'm gonna be a shepherd or pastor, then I'm gonna do this 110%. I'm gonna 10X everything I do. I'm not gonna be halfway into a church and halfway into another business because then who's suffering? The, the sheep, the local people. Pastors aren't prayed up. I see this, and when she said that, and once I started reading this, I started realizing um, we have a lot of ministry friends, and um, I'm not saying, you know, in the beginning, you know, they may have to have a business to get started. But some ministries have been around for 20 years. They're still running other businesses. They're showing up to preach Sunday, um, and, and their local church is suffering. It doesn't ever grow. And he says this, most churches don't ever grow past 100 people because of people's, they're not devoted to Jesus saying, I'm going to build my church. And the church having a vision of we're building church. He said it is the greatest thing for the local body to be a part of what Jesus is doing in the earth, building the local church. So um, I've seen people with my dad and they're pastors. They've been pastors for 30 years. They got a little, and I'm not saying this is bad. I'm just saying this is what I've seen. They got a little side business. They're trying to sell some energy water. They're trying to get, you know, pastor, if you can sell this to your congregation and then I'm gonna get 20 other pastors to sell under me, then, you know, help me make some more money. And, and to me, it saddens me that, that, that 
people have to put so much time into what God's called them to be pastors and the call of the local church to be great, but many churches are not great because there are so many, you know, they, there's no revelation um, of this. And then when I started reading this, um, I, I wanted to, it, it really started to change my mentality. And um, the church is not just a teaching institution. It does teach, but it is an, an assembly of transfiguration. And here's what I mean. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be continually transformed. The literal Greek means transfigured by the renewing of your mind so that you may be able to determine what God's will is, what is proper, pleasing, and perfect. The net translation, that's the ISV translation I read from. The net translation says, do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may test and approve the will of God and what is good, well-pleasing, and perfect. Now, transfigured means to transform into something more beautiful or elevated. When Jesus transfigured, he became more radiant in glory upon Mount Tabor. And to give us a new and typically exalted spiritual appearance to transform outwardly, usually for the better. So these are just um, you know, Webster's Dictionary. But I love what it says, when Jesus transformed, he became more radiant in glory. And so what, and I started reading um, glory, when you talk about the word glory, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we all have an unveiled face, beholding as a mirror of the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord, the spirit. Uh, the NLV says the new living. So all of us who have been, that the veil has been removed can see and we reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So he says, I want you to be transformed. I want you to be transfigured, which transfigured means the glory to shine upon you. And so the church is a place where we come in, we hear the word of God, we consume the word of God, and we are transformed, we are transfigured. Why? Because Jesus is wanting the glory, his glory to reflect on you. It's not that we're just here to hey, we heard a good sermon, let's go grab some lunch, let's get out of here, this is a great community club. No, Jesus is saying, I want you to, be, to look just like me, it's a process, your spirit's saved, um, but your, 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 your soul and your body are, are gonna need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so, um, to me, that was powerful when I read that, is that Jesus is doing something, and it says, there's another scripture until we, um, I think it's, um, was it, a, let's see, I think it's Isaiah 63, um, yes, one through three, did I put that in there? Isaiah 61 through three. Maybe, yes, no. There we go. Um, it's 61 through three. I'll give her a second. Um, and this one's gonna continue um, I'm going to go ahead and read it. It says, For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen on you, and the Gentiles will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. So he's saying here that the glory of the Lord, he wants to put it on you. He wants it, it says in verse two, and the glory will be seen upon you. But now, but Jesus is not giving you more glory with an unrenewed mind. 
Imagine what a person with their unrenewed running around acting like a heathen still and they just no renewal of their mind or they're young in the faith. Now babies in the faith are going to need to grow. But God says, I want to give you more glory. I want to give you more glory at work. I want to give you more glory at, within your colleagues and in the world. But only through the transforming, the transfiguration of your mind. So to the degree you transform your mind and you listen to the word and, and transform you know, what, you're say, what he's saying to you and you're thinking, God is saying, I am going to put the glory, it's going to be seen on you. And so I, I said, you know, so every time you come in here, every time you come to church, think of it this way. God has a little more glory to be seen upon you. He's got a little bit, he wants to transfigure you a little more to be a mirror of Jesus. And so every time you leave church, every time you leave reading the word, he is shaping you to, to, the, to the perfect um, it says there's a scripture in the Bible that says until we all come to the unity, um, I think, yeah, Ephesians 4.12, I'm going to skip Psalms 84.7. Ephesians 4.12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ will be built up until we all reach the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become a mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So if there's a whole measure, that means some of us may not be, a, we may be half measure. I don't really know. I just, I, this is what I'm reading, is that Jesus is saying, I have so much more. I want you to look so much more like me. And until, until we reach this measure of the church, there's a lot of work to do. And church is not just we're coming to hear a good word. No, Jesus is saying when you come here, you're getting transformed. And so don't not neglect the assembly of gathering yourselves together as some do to the day approaching. There's one scripture that says that when Jesus returns, they say the master is, is not coming, it's late, he's not coming back, and many people will be asleep at the return of Jesus. I don't know what's gonna end. Me and dad talked about the millennial reign, and I don't know, you know, when you're in Israel, it just seems that you're so much more closer to it because of what's happening, you're driving through, and dad's, you know, he's over there preaching to you. I'm in the car, and I'm swerving, and he's over there preaching, well, the Bible says this, and this, and that, and the millennial reign's gonna happen here, and, and I'm over here thinking, oh my goodness, <laughs> I can actually see it, because I'm here, and I'm, and this place looks crazy, and it's, it's surreal, and you got the Dead Sea, and you float, and it's supernatural, and so you're thinking, man, this, this is not that far off, and so, um, you know, really, when Jesus does come, uh, one scripture in First Timothy says that godliness is profitable not only in this life, but the one that's also to come. And Jesus seems to be real concerned about having apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers building up the body of Christ right now. I've always thought if, if you know, we have this misconception that when we all get to heaven, Jesus is just going to download everything to us. We're going to have faith. and we're gonna... But it's almost like why, why is he pushing so hard for us to learn now? Why is he looking for, it says the Lord looks to and fro throughout the earth to see who is faithful. He says we're good and faithful servant at the Bama seat of Christ. So Jesus is going to require some faithfulness of us coming and assembling together to hear the word, to be transformed. And I hate to get to heaven and realize that I was, I was not um, faithful to church. I was not transforming my mind. I'll tell you a story of a friend, a uh, pastor who, who's been in this church before. He's a powerful man of God, and he was telling me at, at Pastor Mark's last week, he said the Lord took him to heaven, and he saw a vision of two women. And he just said, I'm just going to tell you what I saw, because he's writing a book on faithfulness. And he said these women were saying, tell the body of Christ to be faithful. Tell them to be faithful to the call of God, that 
God has for them. And he says that it's almost like that they were crying. And he says, I know God says, I'll wipe away every tear from your eye. But he says, it's almost as like there was like some regret that the Lord had said that there was a day. Uh, the Bible says that there is, you can work while it's day, but there's coming a night where no man will work no longer. And so he, she, they were saying, tell the people to be faithful. And so he shared that with me. And that really encouraged me that, you know, there's a time coming where Jesus says when it hits night, there, will be, we won't, there won't be any work any longer. And Jesus says, and I'm building my church, and so what a great honor to be a part of the building the church. I'm going to jump to a scripture, another thing about church and the gathering of the body of Christ and hearing the word of God I thought was so uh, phenomenal, was in Revelations chapter 10. And Revelations chapter 10, I'm going to um, start at, let's see, verse 1. I saw another mighty angel coming down from the heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand. Isn't that funny? Even an angel carrying a little book around. I, I think that's, I, you know, I've never looked at it that way. What would an angel need to be doing? Maybe angels read books. You never, maybe he was reading it before he got down. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and cried out with a loud voice when the lion roars, when he cried out seven thunders, uttered voices. Now, I'm going to skip down to eight. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and says, go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. And so I went to the angel and said, give me the little book. And he said to me, take it and eat it, and it'll make your stomach bitter but it'll be as sweet as honey to your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it and it was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach had turned bitter. And he says, you must prophesy again to many people's nations and tongues and kings. I find this very interesting that um, many times, and I was reading this, um, Doug Howard Mills and he's talking about God has brought books into my life. And many times you'll read stuff and it's almost amazing how sometimes, and, and there's two different parts. It says, it'll be sweet on your mouth as honey, but then bitter in your stomach. Sometimes you read stuff and it's, you're like, this is amazing. But when you really start thinking about it, you know, you're like, this is going to be really hard to do for me. Or you read something and, and it's, and like when I first read this book, I was like, there's no way that I could do this. And it just, it wasn't like the bitterness I think that he's describing is I would toss and turn at night thinking about the book. Is it really possible to build a church that would grow in size, that would multiply? Is it really possible? And so you, you ever read something in like the love book? Like Pastor Mark says, the first time he read, um, what was it by Henry Drummond, the little book, he said he threw that little book across the room. He said, ain't nobody can ever do that. So it's like that bitterness in your stomach going, there ain't nobody can do this. But then as you read it, he says, it became as sweet as honey on my lips. Many times, you come into here and the pastor's preaching a sermon that you may, it, it's, you don't like it or it hits you hard at first and it's bitter. You're like, oh, Jesus. But then it's sweet as honey, right? After you, you, you take it in. So coming to church and hearing the word is not a, you're not wasting your time. There's the angels bringing a message. God is bringing a message every Sunday saying, I want, I'm training you. I'm getting you ready for my coming. Take this book and eat it. This week, take this book and eat it, and take it, and so God will bring stuff, so Pastor Mark gives you books, that's an angel bringing you a book, what are you doing with it, are you reading the books that he put out on the table, 
Because then he told him after, then you're gonna go again and prophesy to many nations, tongues, and kings. So God is saying, what are you doing with the word that I've given you? Are you, are you taking it seriously? Because one day I'm gonna need you to stand before somebody and give a word. I'm gonna need you to stand before a king and say something. I'm gonna need you to stand before your people and your people that you know, and you're gonna prophesy. You're gonna lay hands on the sick. And are you ready to do this? And so God will bring the word to us in church. He will bring, um, you know, Elijah gathered all the people on Mount Carmel. And he said, hear what the word of the Lord. And it says all the people gathered around him. God has a word for people. And if people have too many things to do, oh, I don't have time for that. Or church, I don't have time. No, the word of the Lord is coming. And I'm not saying some Sundays you miss and some Sundays we get to watch online. And we were in Israel and, you know, we miss Sundays. But I think the church really needs to get serious that church is not just a, um, a teaching institute. That, hey, we heard a good word today. That's great. I'll see you next week. Maybe we'll, the, you know, I'll bring a, a sweet tuna casserole to the church uh, dinner that we have, and it'll be great. Praise the Lord. And if I can't make it, I can't make it. Well, I think that it's time to take church more serious. God is saying, I'm bringing a word to you. I'm bringing, mater- I'm bringing ministry gifts to you, Mark Hankins to you. And he's going to impart, and you're going to take it, and you're going to eat it, and you may not like it. Oh, Lord Jesus, he's talking about giving tens of thousands of dollars. I mean, the first time I heard that, talk about bitterness to my stomach. Like, oh, my goodness. The man said, how much money did he give? But what happened after we started doing it? It became as sweet as honey. And so I thank God for the local church and the institution. God is bringing apostles and prophets. He's not bringing them. um, People say, well, I'm the church, and I don't have to go to church. Well, you're missing out on a lot of things. Me and Zach talk about this. There's people that's, you know, in the gym, and they're like, well, I don't need to go to church. That's fine. You're just missing out on on a lot of stuff that God's saying to his body. The prophets and the apostles are speaking to us and they're bringing us revelation and they're bringing us these little books of of the word of God and we're to take them and, and eat them because God says, now I have another one for you to read and I have somewhere for you to go and someone for you to talk to. And then you're a part of Jesus's church that he is building. So, um, we're not to take church lightly. We're not to take, um, and dad says, you know, don't take the meetings lightly of, of when people come. And so um, it's the third thing that happens when Jesus says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Um, the first thing that I want to recognize is that when Jesus says, I will build my church, the very next thing he says is the gates of hell. So uh, Satan's number one opposition is when you start to build a church, the gates of hell will open against it. Because Satan does not care if you build all the other institutions. Do not build the local church. I'm going to read a, a, little, a little thing. When you believe that building a church is warfare, you will sit up and you will do better. You must have a warfare attitude if you want to build the church. You must have a warfare mind if you want to build the church. You cannot have a peaceful and peacetime disposition if you want to build a church. The gates of hell are attempting to prevail against the church. The gates of hell are oriented against the church, trying to overpower. There are wicked forces that are sent to prevent church growth, church planting, and church development. Many claim to be called to build churches, but they are unable to break through in ministry. Preaching nicely is different from building a church. There are many nice preachers, but not many can actually build a church. Indeed, not many 
can build a church that has 100 members. Not many can plant churches. The gates of hell are against the planting of churches. Satan is opposed to the building of churches. He is um, something opposed to you building a double mega missionary church in your lifetime. The gates of hell are against the building of a series of churches. The gates of hell are trying to prevail against the construction of church buildings. Meanwhile, building other religions are being rolled out by the thousands. Satan knows the effect of building and how it establishes a church and why he opposes you. And so, um, you know, he talks about in here how, uh, let's just say one last one, pastors who give himself to building the church will meet the greatest resistance from the depths of hell. There are many other Christian activities that can be undertaken, teaching Christian classes, running Christian schools, running Christian hospitals and orphanages are good Christian activities, but the gates of hell are not opposed to these the same way as they're opposed to the local church. And so me and dad will talk about this on how when you, how much Satan is against when, when um, even my dad in his own life has d- just tried destroying his marriage and then you come into the church and then you have a church split and it's almost like all the time something is happening at church. And it's every week something is going on and that this person's leaving and that. And it's almost like sometimes I'm like, Lord, does the drama ever end at church? You know, it's like you got these other Christians, and I'm not saying everything's going great. But it's just like, do these other institutions struggle as hard as a local church does when it comes to the attack on, on the pastor's life? And then here's another one you're a part of building the local church, the attack on your own life. What have you guys gone through because you're a part of building the local church and Satan is opposed to the local church and he's opposed to you and he's gonna attack your finances. And so he's talking about that um, he told Timothy, he said, um, and I think it's, um, he said, we're, I give you a scripture, is it First Timothy, where Paul told Timothy to wage a good warfare? And um, I'm gonna, Try to find this. Okay, so 1 Timothy 1.8. He says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before thee, that thou by the mightiest war a good warfare. And so many pastors think that their church is just going to grow by osmosis. They're going to come in. People are just going to magically start coming to the church and that they're going to decide to stick and stay and they're going to grow And he says, this is totally um, not the case. He says, if your church is really going to grow, Satan is fighting you tooth and toenail every day. Satan is fighting the people that are coming in every day. And so he says, when, when, uh, and, and Paul says, this is a wage of good warfare. And he says, you're also a soldier in the army of the Lord. And so he says, um, we often call military campaigns because war does not just involve shooting guns, right? War involves propaganda, creating industries that manufacture weapons, military campaigns that involve um, activities like espionage, military intelligence, creating military prisons for prisoners of war. War involves travel, transportation, the provision of food for the military, the storage of food for the military, the care for the military, the care for their soldiers, building airfields, building harbors, building and managing military hospitals, recruiting doctors, the resettlement of soldiers after war, and caring for the wives and children of soldiers who have lost their lives in war. So he's saying, as I'm comparing this to, if you're gonna take this seriously of building a church, if your church people are gonna take serious building the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're gonna have to get serious like a military campaign would. There's gonna be 
you know, people coming in, they're broken and hurting. Okay, we have a place for them. We got new people coming in. So these are new recruited soldiers who we're putting in. Now we're going to be putting them into a class. And after the class, what are they going and what are they doing? And so then we got, we have Karen for the, the widows. And we have, we have the different, the seniors meeting and, and the youth meetings. And we have all these different things going on in church. And that most people, uh, most pastors just, they don't, you know, they think it's just going to run themselves. They're not taking it as serious. And so... I'm saying this to us is because I believe that in 2020, we're going to start taking our church, mil- our church campaign more serious of building the local church of, of, you know, if a military is putting its, you know, really a thoughts into its intelligence, why aren't we out there figuring out how we're to, to capture souls and bring them into the kingdom of God? And then, you know, making sure that we have our people praying and Shirley does a great job of that. Monday night, she wait, they wage great warfare on, 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 um, you know, uh, on attacking the opposition of the enemy, keeping Satan. I think our, thank God for the prayer team, because our church has been around for 30 years now, but it's been by prayer, and we probably haven't done everything strategically right that we need to, but the church has, has been growing, and it's been doing better, and thank God for the prayers of people that show up, and, um, and she's helped building the, the, Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sunday night, we're here praying. We're here because we are building this church. And um, I'll say something that um, when I was younger, I remember when mom used to force me to go to prayer. And I was like, man, I didn't really see the need for us to pray in tongues for an hour. And so what I'm telling her is the sacrifice that people make to come and pray. And, and they, some people say, well, I, I just don't think it's a very necessary thing. Well, I noticed that praying one hour a month was starting to change my life. I would always, you know, at first she said, well, I think when I became on staff, she said, you have to come to prayer. (laughs) So I'm like, you know what? If I'm on staff and I got a new job, I'm not working at Pentair anymore, I will gladly come to prayer. Um, And even though I'm not getting paid for it, but at least it's part of my job, so I'm going to do it. Well, I started noticing some changes. I'd get praying on Sunday night, and the next week something would happen. And I'm going, man, there's something about this prayer thing. So then I would be like, oh, I'm excited for next month's prayer. And then we'd go pray again, and then more things would start happening in my life, and more things and more things. And then I was starting to think, you know, I've really missed out on praying in the Holy Ghost one night a month. I mean, it's one night a month, and you can't even come praying in the Holy Ghost. You know, I'm telling myself this. And like, what if we started doing this, you know, more often? And so I realized the power of prayer when I was forced to do it. But that's, it's, you know, but thank God for the prayers of, Shirley was probably praying to me in a long time before. Lord Jesus, get them. <laughs> and, you know, thank God for the people who show up and pray because a lot of us probably wouldn't be here if the prayers weren't sustaining us. The prayers of the prayers go before us, and they, and they pave the way for people to come in. God says, um, was it John Wesley says, it seems God can do nothing, yet we ask him in prayer because he's limited by his word. And so, um, you know, the prayers of, of, of you guys have built the local church, and, and um, I think that it's been such an amazing thing. And so, what? oh, wow, I better hurry up. The fourth thing we're gonna get to is that, so the first thing is, is we went over a little church history, how powerful the church used to be. 
The second thing is, is we are the church and Jesus is, we're here to be transfigured by Jesus every Sunday and Wednesday. The fourth, the third, then Satan's number one goal is to oppose the local church. It will be war. The fourth thing is, is once you're on the offense, the church will start to multiply. Isaiah 2, 2 through 3, it says there's going to be a, um, this, what I wrote down, there's going to be a rise in mountain-like churches. It'll come to pass in the latter days that there will be, that the mountain of the Lord's house, which is the Lord's house, will shall be established on the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and the nations shall flow to it. That means it's saying people are going to come from all the nations are going to start coming to the Lord's house. Many people shall come and stay. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. We will walk in his path. For out of Zion we shall go forth in the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So it says many people are going to come. Many people are going to come and stay. Not a few. There will be a rise in churches. There will not be few churches and that shall not be small. And then it's Jeremiah 30, 19 through 21. Then out of them shall proceed thanksgiving and the voice of those who make merry. I will multiply them and they shall not diminish. I will also glorify them and they shall not be small. Their children shall also... Um, shall be as before, and their congregation shall be established before me. You got to have a congregation. You got to have a meeting place. So there is some assembly required, and I will punish all who oppress them. Their nobles shall be far from among them, and their governor shall come from their midst. Then I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach me, for he is, for this is all who pledge in his heart to approach me, says the Lord. So he says, I'm going to gather. I'm going to gather the children. I'm going to gather them from nations. Even their governor, their city people shall come in their midst. That means that the church is, was going to return back to how powerful that it once was. And that, um, I've heard prophecies that the latter and the former shall be greater. The ones from the, the, from the beginning, from the time where the book of Acts were it poured out and the church began to grow. But now all that is being saved up for this time where Jesus, this one last campaign push of the local church, in the last days, this is Pastor Doug uh, Howard Mills is saying, God will set aside the smallness that besets many ministries. Many churches are too small for these last days. They will receive a great boost of the power of God. I will multiply them and they shall not be few. I will glorify them and they shall not be small. This is God's promise for you. Believe these words and it will come to pass, come to pass practically. You will see the double mega missionary church. And so... He says in, um, in Zechariah 8, 21 through 23, and I'm just trying to read these prophecies about the church because I want to tell you where the church is going. What, hear the prophecies and, and, ex, and expect what's going to happen. 8, 8, 21 through 23. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another. So that means people from other cities are going to come. Are going to come. Let us continue and go and pray before the Lord. And seek the Lord of hosts. I myself will go also. Many, many, so it says many peoples and strong nations, that means there's going to be a lot of people. They're going to come to seek the Lord of the host in Jerusalem and pray before the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in these days, ten men from every language of the nations shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man. Remember, he says a Jewish one is someone who is inwardly at the heart. Saying, let us go with you, for we heard that God is with you. And it says, so people will come from cities. People are going to know that God is with you. He's, they're going to see the glory on you. They're going to say, where do you go to church? You come in, you look different. You talk different. You have this glory around you. They're going to take you and say, I, I must go to church with you. And so um, 
I want to, I want to skip that one. I think it's, uh, I think it's, was it, maybe it's Haggai, no, it's Ezekiel. I'm not sure which one. Um, it says that God will increase with men like a flock. The, the rise of flock of men will be like a large flock of sheep. You will not even be able to differ, differentiate between different sheep because there will be so many. God will fill the house with flocks of men. Oh, I think that's just a quote. Um, Haggai 1, 7 through 8. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it and be glorified. So God takes pleasure when you build the house of the Lord, when you're investing your time, you're investing your money into the house of God. I'm going to jump real quick. Um, Acts 2, 41. And they... They gladly received his word and they were baptized and in the same day were added to him about 3,000 souls. That was in one day. Then you go down to Acts 6.1. Um, was it 6.1? No, I think it was Acts 4.4. 4. You have that one? It says, how be many of them heard the word and believed and the number of men was about 5,000. So literally two chapters later, it went from 3,000, then it went to 5,000. So now, so God is a God of multiplication. He said, I'm going to multiply men like a flock. So in the book of Acts, I mean, this is hundreds of years ago. You went from 3,000 now to 5,000. Now here we now watch this one. Acts, um, oh no, Acts 6, 1. In these days, the number of disciples was multiplied. There arose murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because the widows were neglected during daily ministration. So it says the number of disciples was multiplied. That means there's going to be people coming in this church who are going to start doing the work of disciples. And it's going to multiply. It's not going to be just one leader rise up. And then five years later, we have another leader who's going to rise up. It says, no, it's going to multiply. Then the one scripture that I really love, Acts 13.44 uh, and I'm kind of blown through these because we got a few minutes left. And the next Sabbath day came and almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. <clears throat> I believe um, that we are getting back to the church age where the church is no longer this small institute, but it is a earth driving powerful force where people are going to be, I mean, trying to get in here. I mean, how would we fit the whole city in here? Uh, I heard in a bishop was at a, a depot's church that if you want to run from the back to the front to the altar call, it'll take you 15 minutes. It's a pastor in Africa. And so they have a large church. And one thing, there, I don't know if it's his church, but like in the, um, that picture, and uh, there's a church in Africa, Kenneth Copeland had one of his meetings was showing us that they built and the church is the center of the city, and they've had to keep building it bigger and bigger because they can't house all the people. They bought all this land out in Africa for next to nothing. Then they put a church there, and the church and the people came out there to go to church, and it grew so big that now they have a city. They have the, the church has their own movie theater, and it's a huge, I mean, it holds thousands of people. It's a movie theater. They have their own mall. They have all this stuff. And it's, what it's, what's amazing to me is they've built a replica of what the church used to be. The church used to be the center of the city. It used to dominate, you know, we're going to come here with the word of the Lord says today. When is the church getting back to be, I believe the church is going to start being the center of the city again. And I believe that Pastor Mark Hangins told Kenneth Estrada's church the other night because um, there was only a few people there. And he says, you guys are the seeds. 
you guys are planted as the seeds for what is about to come and for the work where this church is going to expand and grow. And so God needs the seeds. He needs people here who have been here, who have been sowing, that are going to help reap the harvest. And so I almost felt like that, you know, you guys are the seeds of Word of Life Church. You guys are, are what's, you know, Jesus is about to um, multiply his church. And he says that um, one, one part in here he prophesies, he says churches that are 60, God says, I'm going to multiply you by 10, you're going to be 600. Churches that are 200, God says, I'm going to multiply you by 10, and you're going to be 2,000. And the church that's to come, that, that, that the last part of Jesus' return, but the church is going to expand first, and how that the people are going to come and come to the churches and flood in here. And so um, I've been reading that, that book, and I've just been meditating on it and consuming it because Dad's vision is that we have a church over here that he wants to build. It'll hold 500 people. And if you do two services, it'll hold 1,000 people. And so then dad has, I'm proud of him. He's even expanding because he said, then after that, we'll go find a new piece of property and then we'll build a bigger church. And he says, and by that time, he says, I'm just going to sit back and watch you do it. (laughs) But that's what happened to Dr. David Youngie Cho. He says, I believed God for my first 1,000 people. Then the Lord came back to me and said, I want you to believe God, believe me for 2,000. And then after he got to 2,000, he said, I'm good. Lord, this is amazing. This is an amazing work. I'm going on vacation. I'm kicking back. And the Lord says, no, I want you to believe for 5,000 people. And he talks about in his book, the, it's called The Fourth Dimension, and believe in God. And then you get to 20,000, 50,000. And now they're, I think he's pastoring close to anywhere from 700 to a million people. And they're one of the biggest, I think they're one of the biggest churches in the, he has the largest church in the world. But really, God was just saying, I'm, I want to stretch your faith. Where, let's take your faith. So like I said in the last time I preached, it's, we go from glory to glory. We go from layer upon layer, right? We go from, the Bible says in Psalms 80, it says we'll go from, um, I'm going to read one last scripture. It says we'll go, I think it's, um, if I can go back to it, if I can find it. Is there one that says Psalms um, 87.4 in there? No, it's 84.7. I thought I put it in there for you. Psalms 84.7. It says that we will go from strength to strength until each appears before God in Zion. You'll go from strength to strength until the Lord of glory appears. And so I believe that our church is continuing to grow. And um, Pastor Mark came back after three months. I thought that was amazing. I thought that that, he said, he actually told my dad the other night, he said, after I left your church and we got back, we were setting our schedule up and he said, the Lord told me go back again. And he said, I really felt like the Lord wanted to do something and something was set that the last Thursday night, something was set in this church. And so like he said, something brand new was happening. But I want us to get into agreement that we are, going, we, are ha- we are a church that is growing into a mega church. Now, whether we, we see it, you know, now or, or you know, in, in my lifetime, but I want to believe God that we're going to reach more people before Jesus returns. We're, we're going to go from 300 to 600 to 1,000 people and then to more. And so um, I'm going to just close with that and that you guys are a part of that. Heavenly Father, I thank you tonight that, You've showed us how in the word that number one, our business is coming to church to be transformed in our thinking. And some of our thinking has maybe been too small. 
And our church has maybe, we've done good and we've grown, but maybe we've been stuck at a mindset. And Father God, it shows in the book of Acts that you, you multiplied them and you increased them like a flock and you, went and you took them from 3,000 to 5,000 to where the whole city one day showed up to hear the word of the Lord. Father, I pray that our church, we will be a part of the last day's church that would reach the nations. We would be a part of a church that would reach Apopka, that would reach our city and that the churches around us, Father God, that we would work with them, Father God, to reach the city and the cities beyond us. And I thank you, Father God, for the faith to believe you, for increase, that we'd increase in our finances, that we would increase in our vocations because we are the local church and we are building your assembly together. And I thank you for blessing every person in the sound of my voice tonight. And I thank you that they came out to hear that where the church is going, where that you are, that you are building your church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message by Word of Life Church. We just wanted to let you know there's a lot more content on our website at wolapopka.com from our YouTube channel, to our podcast, to our SoundCloud, and many more events. We also wanted to let you know that we love giving you these messages. And it helps us too that if you would love to give to the what we're doing, it helps keep all these messages free. You can just simply go to our website and click the big Give Now button. Or you can text 407-955-5345. And remember... Our pastor's vision is this, we grow Christians. So we thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.